Well, this time of year is particularly special for me and my wife, Julie. See, around this time of year, five years ago, we had our first date. And a year later, almost to the day, we got engaged. And I know I'm biased in here, but I think our engagement story is pretty awesome. It's pretty great. See, our first date was to drive around and look at Christmas lights. And so I thought the next year, the night I proposed, we'd kind of relive that memory. So we drove around again and looked at Christmas lights. And while we were doing that, I had her sisters go back to the place where we first met and decorate that place with more Christmas lights so that when we were done, we could go there and take pictures to send as gifts to family. And it was there that I would propose. And I got to tell you, they did an unbelievable job decorating that place. Now, what I could do is stand here this morning and talk to you all about how the lights shimmered and sparkled off the, the white backdrop or how beautiful Julie was. I could go on and on about that. But I figured a picture's worth a thousand words, so I, I, I'd rather show it to you. So I brought some pictures here. Now, isn't that something? They did a great job. But the thing is, even with how beautiful that place was, how decorated it was, and how lovely Julie was, that's not the only thing that made that night, that proposal, so special. See, when Julie and I first started dating, I made her a promise. I told her that no matter how great our relationship was going, no matter how deep our affections were stirring for one another, that I wouldn't tell her the words, I love you, until I could prove it with a ring. Now, let me step aside for a minute and say that if you're in a dating relationship and have said those words, or if you were in a dating relationship and said it before you were married too, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I just know for me, I had said it in previous relationships before, but I didn't really mean it. So I wanted Julie to know that if she ever heard me say those words, if she ever heard me utter the words, I love you, she would know that I meant it. Because she'd have something tangible to hang on to, to show that that was the case. And so that night, as I told her I loved her for the first time and got down on one knee, I was able to pull out a ring and show her that my desire was for her. That I love her enough to want to spend the rest of my life with her, regardless of whether or not on the rare occasion she'd do something that I didn't necessarily love, like squeeze a toothpaste from the middle of the tube. And so now every year as we celebrate this time of year, celebrate the holidays, we also get to celebrate our own love story. We get to celebrate the love that we have shown to each other every year since then. Now this kind of thing isn't just special to the two of us. It's something we as a culture really, really appreciate, something we enjoy. This idea of being shown love rather than just being told about love. And I can prove it. I can prove it with three simple words. You ready? Hallmark Christmas movies. Because all of these movies tell the exact same story. Like, I'm willing to bet next year they're going to release a movie about a big city business person named Chris. And Chris has to go on a last-minute business trip to a small town right around the holidays to run a small little cute boutique out of business. And his fiance Holly, isn't that thrilled about it because he's going out of town right before the holidays, but she reluctantly lets him go because he assures her, yeah, I'll be home by then. So he gets to the small town and he meets the, business, uh, the, the shop owner. Her name is Mary, and they don't get along at all, at first. See, the more time they spend together, the more they, they get to know each other, the more they grow on each other. And it isn't long before Chris starts to think, hey, maybe I have some feelings for her and I feel bad about running around a business. So he calls home, he calls work, every so often to say, hey, this, this trip is taking me a little bit longer than I anticipated, so I'm going to need more time. But it's all just a ruse to spend more time with Mary. And just when you think that, that love is about to blossom, that something's about to happen there, what actually does happen? 
The fiance, Holly, surprises all of us by showing up in that cute little town because if Chris can't be home for the holidays, she's going to bring Christmas to him. Isn't that cute? No, it's not. That's when all the drama unfolds. See, because it isn't long before Holly picks up on the fact that there might be something going on between Chris and Mary. And Mary wasn't even aware that Chris had a fiance to begin with, so both of them are upset. Meanwhile, you have Chris over here juggling all the relationship drama and the mounting pressure from back home to hurry up and finish the job or else. But all of this tension and all of this drama forces Chris to realize what the most important thing in life is, what the true meaning of Christmas is all about. Love. So what does Chris do? He officially ends things with Holly, who's oddly cool and understanding about it, because who is she to stand in the way of true love? And he quits his job to to save this little shop and, and cause it to flourish, and he shows his love to Mary by showing up on her doorstep and confessing his love to her. And the movie ends with Mary and Chris getting married on December 25th. So coming to you December 2022, a very Merry Christmas, starring Candace Cameron Burr, Andrew Walker, and Lacey Chabert. It is the exact same story every single year. They just change the setting and names. It's the same plot every single time. But does that stop us from wanting to watch these movies? No. Now, we look forward to watching the old movies over and over and over again, and we can't wait to see the next slate of movies, even though it's the same plot year after year after year. Why? Because there's something so special, so alluring and enchanting about seeing these love stories play out with your own eyes. Anyone can tell you the plot, but there's something magical about seeing this story unfold, about witnessing it, especially around Christmas time. Because there's something so inherently romantic about Christmas, right? But we don't need Christmas or Hallmark Christmas movies to, to tell us that. Because Hallmark Christmas movies aren't the hallmark of Christmas love stories. The Bible is. See, we read in Matthew 1, in our main text today, about a love story playing out in the very first Christmas. A love story where love is shown rather than just being talked about. And so as we start our new series this Advent, Christmas of Another Kind, where we're focusing on different ways to celebrate the holidays and celebrate Christmas this year, I want us to take a look at how Joseph and Mary's love story can change and shape how we celebrate Christmas this year by showing love rather than just talking about it. And the love story of Joseph and Mary, Joseph and Mary is a great example of how to do this. Right? Because if, if you notice, there wasn't a lot of dialogue actually going on in this text. In fact, the only speaking part belongs to the angel. So when I think about this narrative playing out in real life, I like to think of it kind of as a, a silent movie or like, you know when you've been with someone long enough, you can have a full-length conversation without saying a single word? I like to think that's what's happening here. So Joseph comes home after a long day at work and he just wants to kick his feet up, but Mary has some news for him. She wants to announce that she's pregnant, but she doesn't have to say a single word to communicate that. Why? Because she's showing. That's what happens when you're pregnant. You don't need to say anything. Your body is showing that you're with child. And Joseph understands that. And his expression says it all because he's 100% sure that he's not the father. But how does he respond? Does he respond by shouting at her and demanding an explanation, saying, how could you do this to me? Does he respond by jumping on Facebook and putting up a picture of her in a cryptic caption that says something like, cheaters never win? To drag her name through the mud and save his own reputation? No, he doesn't do any of that. What does he do? He says that he resolves to divorce her 
quietly, without saying anything harsh to her, without saying anything negative about her, he saves her reputation. And by doing so, he's showing just how much he cares about her, just how much he loves her. And as he's sleeping one night, an angel comes to him. And with the only dialogue we get in this text, the angel explains Joseph, explains to Joseph about Mary's faithfulness, not just to him, but to God. The angel talks about who this child is and what this child is going to do. And Joseph, without arguing at all, without putting up any kind of a fight, does as the Lord commands him. And he stays with Mary. And by doing so, he again shows how much he loves her, but he also shows how much he loves God. See, because back in this time, it was required by law. If you caught your wife in adultery, you were to divorce her. If you didn't, if you stayed with her, if you let your love for her outweigh your honor among society, you were seen as a weak man. But Joseph doesn't care. He shoulders that shame, carries that upon himself. And in doing so, he shows us something about true love. He shows us that love goes further. It goes further than just talking about it. By saying it, love leads to action. It leads to a young man scraping up whatever little money he has and all the creative juices he possesses to come up with an engagement process. It leads to to maybe that same man or maybe a little older man sacrificing his Friday night with his buddies to stay home with with his girl and watch a Hallmark movie marathon to see this same plot play out over and over again. Or it leads to a friend sitting in silence with you for hours on end without saying a single word as you grieve, just to let you know that that they're with you. True love goes further, goes further than words. And Joseph's love goes further by trusting in God over all human logic and by sacrificing his own social standing to be with his wife and obey his God. Now, who wouldn't want a love like that? A love story like that, marked by genuine care, by tremendous faithfulness. Who wouldn't want that? I think we all want that. We wouldn't turn that down. But the thing is, if all of us strive for a relationship like that, a love story like that, why is it that we continue to to hear and read about all these failed relationships? Why is it that we continue to see the divorce rate climb? Well, the, the simple answer is this. We love love. No one is arguing with that. We all long to be loved, to feel loved, to experience love, to share it with someone. We all love love. But we don't always love to love. Now, let me be clear. What I'm not saying is that if you're divorced or been in a failed relationship, it's necessarily because you failed to love. But it is evidence that maybe someone failed to love you. And I think if we're all honest in here this morning, we can admit that, that even if we've loved someone, we haven't always wanted to love someone. We haven't always wanted to show love. Sometimes we just want to say the words and let that be enough. Because love is hard, it's messy. It requires something of us. It requires us to show love even when we really don't want to. It requires us to give something of ourselves even when sometimes we think the person on the other end may not be deserving of it. And none of us feel that more than we do during the holidays, right? When we're forced to to house our 
spouse's third cousin and their screaming kids who came for Thanksgiving but aren't leaving till after New Year's and they're eating us out of house and home and leeching off all of our Wi-Fi data? Or how about when we're the only person in our office who doesn't want a secret Santa party but we have to anyway and we have to buy a present for the one coworker we really don't like? We don't have anything in common with. We don't care to know them. We just want them to exist within work hours during the week and that's it. Or how about when our kid comes home from college on winter break? And while he's been away at college, his ideologies, his worldview has changed. And you feel like the only thing you can talk about anymore is the weather without causing some sort of massive fight. That doesn't sound fun, does it? That's not easy. It's so much easier just to talk about love, just to tell someone you love them than it is to show them. It's much easier to, to receive love than it is to show it and to give it. And that's what makes Joseph and Mary's love story here stand out all the more. But even with how remarkable their love story is, the interesting thing is their love story isn't the main story going on here. Their story is placed within the larger context of a much bigger love story. See, I don't know if you caught it, but at the beginning of verse 18, it says that this story isn't about Mary and Joseph at all. It's about Jesus. This is his story. And his story marks a a particular place in history of God's love story with his people. See, the Bible is just one long love story about God and his people. It starts by talking about how God created us. He created mankind, not out of necessity or boredom or some petty need to be praised and served in worship. No, he created us out of his great love for us. How did people respond to his love? We read pretty much from Genesis 3 on. That's like the whole Bible, basically. That God's people respond to his love by rejecting him, by being unfaithful to him, by seeking love apart from him in the arms of someone or something else. And over and over and over again, God sent the Old Testament people prophets and judges to remind them of his love for them, to warn them about the danger that awaits if they continue to seek love apart from him and go down the path they've been trotting. He sends them, those people, to bring them back to him because he knows that no one can love them like he can. And over and over and over again, they respond by rejecting him, by seeking things that aren't him, by chasing their own desires more than they chase him. And friends, we're not so different than them. It may look slightly different, but it's the same. At the very least, we hear over and over and over again on Sundays, God's love story for us. We hear about his love, his message of love to us. And over and over and over again, we forget all about that message by the time we're done eating lunch at Phoebe's or however you pronounce it. But through it all, God never stops loving his people. He never stops caring about us. He doesn't stop at telling us he loves us. He goes further. He goes further by sending the Israelites his own son, even when they were rejecting him most of all, when they were his enemies. He doesn't send them his son to destroy them or to divorce himself from them and wipe them off the face of the earth. He sends them his son meek and mild as a baby to be gentle with them to teach them and dwell with them 
to give his life one day and take it back up again, not just for them, but for the whole world, for all of us in here too. Now, why would God do that? Why would he love us like that? Why would he continue to love us by inviting us to the waters of holy baptism like you saw with the little Oliver this morning? Why would he do that? Because God's love goes further than ours ever could. That's why. Because no matter how many times we've been unfaithful to him, God is faithful to us. And he never stops loving us because his love is different. We don't always love to love, but God always loves to love. And he always loves to love us. And he shows us his love in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, Jesus shows us firsthand what God's love is and what God's love does. He shows us that God's love is patient. It's kind. God's love seeks us out and restores us and heals us. God's love rescues us by sacrificing everything to come get us, even when we were deserving of nothing. And there's nowhere we can go where we're outside of God's love. And there's nothing so broken in us that God's love can't fix because God himself is love. And because of the love that Jesus, his son, showed us by giving his life for us, by taking our place on the cross and rising up again in new life, because of that work, because of that love, God continues to show us his love by forgiving us over and over and over again. And no one can question the love of a God who sacrificed everything when we were deserving of nothing. And that is the reason for the season. That's what we should be celebrating every year around this time. The arrival of God's son to show God's love to us, to be God's love to us. And that's better than any Christmas love story we see on TV. Because this story is real. Because of the great love God has for us, not because of anything we've done, but because of his son, because of his great love for us, as God's beloved, this is our love story. So imagine for a minute what it would look like to celebrate Christmas this year a little bit differently than you normally do. Maybe it kind of looks the same on the outside, but, but maybe it's different on the inside and how you think and how you treat people. Like imagine what, what it would look like if your Christmas celebration this year involved you telling someone about this love story. Or, or better yet, if you showed this love to them. So maybe instead of being resentful towards your distant relatives and their screaming kids, maybe you, you joyfully open up your house to them and you take the blessings God has given you, like food and Wi-Fi, and you gladly share it with them that you might bless them. Or maybe instead of begrudgingly buying a present for that coworker you don't get along with, maybe you try to see them as someone God loves and you show them the kind of love even if they don't deserve it, that God showed to you, even when you were undeserving. And maybe you might make a friend out of it. Or maybe instead of engaging in small talk for a month and a half, maybe you build up towards having a conversation about how God has shown love to the both of you this season and this year. So as we leave this morning, I want you to think about who that person in your life might be. Think about a person who's difficult for you to show love to. And think about what Christmas would look like this year if your love for that person 
went further by showing them that kind of deep and impactful, life-changing love, the life-changing love of Jesus. But we can still go further. We can go further by not just thinking about that person and what loving them looks like. Let's go further this year by actually showing it to them, showing the love of God to them. Let's pray. Well, gracious God, we, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for reminders to, uh, to love you, reminders of your love for us. We thank you as we, as we begin our Advent celebrations that you came to us even when we weren't loving and you showed us your great love in Jesus. We ask that you would give us hearts and minds and eyes that, uh, that take the love that you have shown us and want to show that love to other people. That we may, uh, we may bear your image to them and that, that all those around us may, may experience and feel uh, a love that goes further than ours ever could. Uh, so Father, we confess this morning that we love you, but we ask that you would help us to love others as you love them and help us to love you more and more. Father, we thank you in all things. We pray that, that you would continue to send your son Jesus to us to forgive us and show us that great love every day, particularly as we celebrate this Christmas season. It's in his name, the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen.